0: Before the Riderflex Podcast episode of the day, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing360, fuel your brand.
0: Andrew Padalov on the Riderflex Podcast. How you doing, Andrew? Good. How are you? I'm doing just fine I appreciate you being on the show uh, love your story I want to get all into rush bowls and find out how you did it but uh first let's let's learn about you personally tell me tell me about Andrew like where you know where you grew up a little bit about your parents maybe some early life stuff
1: sure first and foremost thank you for having me on the podcast today uh, well uh you know my I I, I must say I had a, a pretty easy, uh, comfortable life as a, as a young child. I grew up in, as they say, Long Island, New York. Uh, I was pretty active in sports in school. I played a lot of lacrosse, uh, indoor and, um, and outdoor. And uh, had, uh, I really I grew up not too far from the beach and I used to go to the beach a lot at the end of the day. And no, I'm not a boater, and I don't surf. It's beyond, beyond my capabilities, probably. Uh, certainly <laughs> surfing is really hard. Uh, but I, I would tell you, my, uh, my dad was extremely hardworking. Uh, he was a judge. And before that, he was an attorney in I see. New York. And my mom was a school teacher, And then uh, later on, she was home. I was the youngest of four children. Mm. uh all have been extremely successful in all different industries from you know corporate business law and it's uh it's really we have a close-knit family and very fortuitous that way Uh, folks your folks still in new york are they still there yes they're still they're still in the tri-state area and i don't yeah yeah, i don't still alive
0: Okay, still alive. I don't hear that thick Long Island accent though. A lot of times I, I visit with people from there. I don't. You, you've lost a little bit of that being in Colorado now for so many years.
1: Yeah, well, I lived in New York City for 15 years, and then Colorado is be 17 years. So I've been here okay. since uh, for a long time. So it's really more my home than anywhere else. When you go, when you talk to your mom or dad, does the accent
0: come out a little bit? Probably so. If you call back home, huh?
1: A little bit, I try to hide it pretty <laughs> as best I can, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no uh it, it it pops out. you can hear it in certain words like your and uh, some of those uh, notoriously east Coast enunciations. you went to uh, state
0: University up in Albany. Sure. I, how did you how did you decide to go there and walk us through did, did you know what you wanted to be at that point because you said you were the youngest, so already you're having to follow uh, some of your siblings. And I don't know if you're getting, getting pressure from your dad to be a lawyer, but how, yeah. How did you decide to go to school there? And did you know what you wanted to be?
1: Yeah. Uh, and I always wanted to be a doctor, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. I wanted to go, I kind of had to go to a state school. I visited a lot of schools and uh, uh, SUNY Albany at the time uh, was a great fit for me. Uh, and I felt very comfortable there. Okay. And I was studying pre med my first year, and truthfully, my brother was doing extremely well in business, my oldest brother. Okay. And, you know, I guess uh, what you get with siblings, I'm like, if he can do that, I certainly can do that. (laughs) And I, uh, I gave up medicine and applied for the business school. Now, you had to have, I think it was like a three, four, or something like that to get into the business school. And you had to apply by uh, I believe your, you know, mid-sophomore year. But the the all the classes I took were were certainly in the science field, being a doctor, organic chemistry. So a lot of the business classes that I had to take were were easier, honestly. And um, I was lucky enough to go to their business school. And at the time, it was a really strong business school. And okay. uh, I got a lot of my education in business really. On an undergraduate level, there. I see. Okay, now was your mom upset because
0: you decided not to be a doctor? Was your mom like, "I wanted at least one doctor"?
1: <laughs> you know, I, I I think, and no one in my family is a doctor. So uh, my uncle oh. was a veterinarian. Okay. There was never a pressure uh, on they. They never pressured us on the occupation that okay. we needed to be. Though there was a lot of pressure to be successful, and I don't know if that was self or through siblings or whatever it may be, but everyone worked hard. I can tell you, everyone worked hard in my family and that helps a lot. No doubt about it. Right. I mean, uh,
0: same, same for me. I get a lot of work ethic from my, from my folks. And uh, my dad worked in the oil field for many years and uh, same way. Yeah. I, I, you get your work ethic by the people you're around. Usually when you're young, walk us through your early career then in New York. Uh, you went to work for Bear Stearns first, I think, I, I don't know, walk us through some of your career before yeah. the, before the entrepreneurial journey, go for it.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, it was, it was quite a journey actually in finance. So I started, uh, I started work right away. Uh, I had a few, I was lucky. I had some really good work experience over the summer and I started, I always laugh. I was offered a job at the time for like 40,000 at Nat West Bank. I don't know if they still exist. But I ended up taking a job making 18000 a year at Bear Stearns. And it just resonates with me because I took a job. I wanted to gather the most experience that I can. and Bear Stearns was at the time before it went under was the Brash yeah. Investment Bank. Uh, mm-hmm. I specialized in kind of uh, an assistant to a trading desk and uh, a management trainee program that I was in. And I did that for a little bit. And I then was recruited to go to Payne Weber. And I, at Payne Weber, I worked on a CMO sales desk. CMO's collateralized mortgage obligation. Uh, and at the time it was a brand new product. I then was fortuitous enough, got recruited to Morgan Stanley. And at Morgan Stanley, I was uh, on the uh, interest rate trading desk, helping them out in more of a junior position, working my way up. I then went to Credit Lyonnais. I was with Morgan Stanley four years or so. Then I went to Credit Lyonnais roughly uh, to run uh, the short end of their trading book in in interest rate derivatives and Canadian book, which was again, all really positive uh, and very intense uh, jobs. Mm -hmm. And then I was recruited to be global head of derivative trading for national Australia bank, the largest bank in Australia. I did that, uh, but I've uh, it was it, it was an incredible job, jobs I would say in many ways. But they were very intense jobs. So I was gambling on behalf of the bank. So I wasn't brokering positions or anything like that. I was taking positions for the bank, and I was good at it. Uh, I was a professional gambler, uh, pretty much, <laughs> with the bank's money, and I would get bonuses and salaries based on this expertise mm-hmm. and uh it taught me a ton you also i always laugh you were treated like a king in that business so you're producing this revenue and you were treated extremely well you were taken out all the time from brokers whoever else and uh and i had quite a good life in new york city i lived in manhattan for 15 years doing that were you the married? At
0: the, were you married at the time
1: at the end of it, at uh, National Australia Bank time, I was married. I got married, uh, okay. and again, that type of job you, you generally not you don't stay in it for really long periods of time because it's so taxing on your soul, uh, and and it's just a taxing job. Mm-hmm. You're making again, it's extremely mathematical. You're making uh, educated bets based on positioning and everything else, and you know some people have a natural talent for it uh and not a lot of people i would say so i was good at it but it wasn't something that i really longer term wanted to say this is it this is you know utopia for me i think it was something that i missed the interaction with people and uh go ahead sorry yeah uh, yeah i was
0: gonna say okay all right go ahead so you you because you're dealing with numbers and spreadsheets and things like that you're you're, so you're thinking, even though you're making a lot of money, you're getting winded and right. dined all the time. You're living a pretty good life in New York. Something's missing for you.
1: Yeah, it was not satisfying, and it was exhausting. You know, it's it's a very tough job. People don't, you know, it's it, first of all, it's highly competitive to get, especially back then. And then uh, you, you, it's an extremely stressful job. And that's you know, it's as much as I can say. And everyone going in knows it you know, it's, it's a very highly sought job, but it wasn't satisfying for me. And for me, it's not just about money. I want to be happy and everything else.
0: Are you having conversations with your wife uh, at this time saying, man, I don't, you know, I, I need to, I'm trying to find myself. I'm having a little midlife crisis here. Or I'm not, I need to, this is not quite satisfying for me. I want to do something different. Are you guys starting to have those conversations and then I know, and then walk us into the, the 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 transition point and how that tied into 9-11 a little bit um but yeah talk to me were you having early conversations and then did 9-11 like trigger it for you walk us through that
1: yeah i would say and uh i told my wife early on i wanted to move out to colorado before we got married oh, i see and i always loved. i traveled out west a lot you know even okay. as a child going to visiting national parks out west and it just it was, a, you know, a love of mine. It was very I deep-seated kind of attachment there. Uh, I didn't have any family in Boulder, uh, but I told her early on that someday I'd really like to move there. And I think she said, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> 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 Sounds good. <laughs> but we're getting married. We'll see you know, how that plays out. Had, and she, then,
0: had, had she been West? Had she been to Boulder no. or anything? Okay, okay. No. <laughs>
1: Uh, you know she's she's traveled but not i was i travel a lot as as a family and was she and, from and, new york yes yes and from originally from long island and uh you know lived in the city and that's a that's a whole nother podcast how we met but uh, <laughs> uh is it uh were you like being wined and
0: dined by by a client or was she a client i mean what's the short give no. us the super short version
1: no, I mean, uh, we lived in a, a apartment together, a apartment building, and she was on the same floor. Nice uh, I right. asked her out a, a few times, and she blew me off basically. And <laughs> I was like, "That's not going to work here." <laughs> and and eventually, we we met a few times, and and that's where it really uh, we got married. So Okay, uh, I can almost
0: really, hear. I can almost hear the conversation. She's from Long Island, never been out west to Colorado, and you're like, "Hey, I want to move to Boulder," and she's like, "Huh? Yeah, whatever." I mean, yeah, Boulder, exactly. Boulder, Boulder from New York City, as I mean, is I mean, is it's almost two different planets,
1: quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it, but when you look at it on a broadest view, you know, major airport an hour away, you know, that yep. flies pretty much everywhere, educated mm-hmm. population, mm-hmm. Um, a very entrepreneurial population. Very, very. And and uh, a very, you know good area to raise children for schools and everything else. And gotcha. yep. when I ended up moving out there, you know, my, my son was three and my, uh, my daughter was three and my son was five. So it was a big transition to, to move there and we can get, so you finally,
0: t- you finally talked her into moving now. Now, did you, did you say, Hey, let's move out there. I want to do something different. Or did you just, des- you had decided we're going to open our own business Let's do it there. Which one came first,
1: the move or, or the business or it happened together? It happened pretty much together. I basically said, I want to move to Boulder and I'll start a business there. I see. And, and it, you know, I can, the transition really was dictated by 9-11. Yeah. To digress a little bit. My wife was in the tower in 93 when they bombed it. She was working for Canner. I was in Midtown uh, working for the NAB. and then uh, and then there was, you know we lived in Manhattan, we had a nanny. It was my wife's first day back from maternity was 9/11. So wow. she then worked worked in like in the 20s or 30s. I was in midtown and 9/11 happened. And obviously in finance, in doing what I was doing, I lost a lot of friends that day.
0: Mm.
1: And I decided right there I wanted to talk to her and the horrors of that day made the transition happen way quicker you know so 911 happens i kind of organized everything just move out to boulder you know a couple of years later so
0: so let me ask you this did you say hey i'm just i'm quitting my job uh we got yeah. enough money and save we got enough money in savings to do this move i'm going to go try like I mean that yeah. takes uh, that takes some guts to do that. Uh, you know, what that conversation sound like with your wife? Where you're like, "Listen, I know I'm, I'm making like half a million dollars a year or whatever you were pulling down at the time. Right. I'm making I'm making a shit ton of money, and uh, we're just gonna quit all this and move to Boulder and
1: maybe it'll work." <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I would tell you, you know, as people fretted, I, I quit my job, bought a house and started uh, and, you know, had a mortgage and, 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 and started a business. I don't think it's the smartest thing to do ever. (laughs) I was extremely, I think confident that whatever it took, if it was me digging ditches, I would figure out a way. Okay. And, and no matter what it was, I was very driven to make it work. And that may not be, you know, uh, as, as, as easy or, you know, I, I wanted to be creative, which is my number one thing. I wanted to be creative and I wanted to have customer interaction. Did your wife quit her job too? Well, she, yes, she quit earlier because then she was raising the kids. So after she, she uh, was on maternity, she worked a little bit after, but after 9-11, she basically quit. So she was, she was, you know, raising you know the very two infants basically you said you said
0: earlier you're a professional gambler i mean you just pushed your chips all in the middle of the table right there no no income moved to boulder two young kids bought a house Started a business okay yeah that takes balls my friend
1: <laughs> yeah you, are, you know my whole <laughs> life was risk assessment right making making <laughs> gambles and you better be able to gamble on yourself but oh. it it it, it I don't want to make it seem easy. It was terrifying in many ways. I just I'm didn't sure. think, try to think about it that way. <laughs> I just try to focus on the positive. <laughs> how but, did you uh,
0: tell, Talk to us about how you decided what to do. Walk, walk us through that. I think you had a friend that had a, had a, had a smoothie business or something, but talk walk us into the transition on deciding what to open as a business.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to open a, because figuring what I wanted to do, I really missed that customer interaction. I wanted to deal with people. When you were running a trading desk, basically you're not dealing with the customers. You're, again, you're dealing with other banks and everything like that. Uh, so I missed that customer interaction, seeing people's faces, their reactions. And I wanted to do something a little different. A friend of mine had a smoothie type of business uh, and he was extremely creative, brilliant guy, honestly. So I saw his business and I was telling him basically what I wanted to do. And he was like, yeah, you should open one of these in in Boulder. And I'm like, I'm happy to do that, but I-, I really want to do something a little different with it. And then the birth of 17 years ago, the both of the bowl. So I started doing bowls and he really didn't want to do that. Uh, he didn't see that as a direction he wanted to pursue, but I did. And I wanted to something, you know, people are doing smoothies, rah, rah, right? I wanted to do something that was meal oriented. I had a very, I, had a, I have a good palate, but I also like texture in my mouth. I wanted the smoothiness, the silkiness of, of the blended fruits. I wanted the crunch of the granola, the honey, you know, in the, you know, the toppings of fruit, whatever it may be. I liked the mouthfeel. I liked the flavor and I wanted a meal based focus. I didn't okay. want to be a snack. I didn't want anything like that. And that really gave birth to Rush Bowls. That was Rush Bowls. So we were doing bowls 17 years ago. We were certainly, if not first to market, one of the early ons. And as a company early on, one thing about being near a campus, the students are very progressive in their thoughts, right? They really took the product and were willing to try this. If I tried this product, you know, somewhere in a rural area, it probably not, I wouldn't, wouldn't have the success it is does today would have taken time to build it but certainly the students were very accepting of it and quite frankly students are generally college kids are very easy customers for the most mm. part mm. and uh, i was very lucky i had some great staff and uh, i that's how the company got built and certainly it was really hard work so Really, the first really store
0: so the first store was was a. Uh was right by the campus was right by CU in, yeah, in Boulder the Hill, that was your
1: first in day? boulder correct
0: okay um, and was it called rush bowls when you first opened
1: uh, it was called like for a year it was not even i think zoom and then we we called it rush bowls
0: okay i mean we we talked about the fact that you had guts earlier you know leave, leaving your job and coming out to new york and then when you did make a decision on what you wanted to do as a business owner you picked restaurant industry, food industry, which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just want to tie all that together. Yeah, You know, you, know, you, you picked one of the hardest uh, industries to be in that has one of the highest fail rates uh, that I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> you, wow. Okay. So you had one shop in Boulder. Now, what do you remember what it took money wise to get that first store open? Was that was that a $500,000 investment? What did it take to get that first location open?
1: I'm just curious. I don't recall really. I think it was certainly probably around closer to 200, opposed to 200. Okay. or oh, okay. in, in, or, you know, around maybe less. I don't recall exactly. Uh, Cause it's so long ago. Uh, yeah. But
0: Well, I'm just curious. The reason I asked that specific question, Andrew is, you know, so many of our listeners, they're, they're always that, that, that moment where you're leaving your job to start and then how to get started and how to survive during those in the first year or two. Um, so that was the only source of income you had was your was your first location there in Boulder. Did you did you invest your own money? Then what, what did you have to raise cash? Did you have your own savings? And what kind of advice would you give listeners on that topic, by the way, to get that first location? open. Sure. Uh, first of all, I, I used my
1: own money. Okay. And uh and I think if you can raise cash and you're not giving up too much, I mm-hmm. think that's certainly an avenue to go. I, you know, certainly I started a little later in life than a lot of people. And I had success previously in my career that afforded me the, uh, that opportunity, but it isn't easy. you know. And it wasn't just, Oh, what's Rush Bowls and it was stellar. I had to explain what the product was. And you know, as much as it's, it's turned out so good so far, there were, and I know we'll get to that also, there were a lot of challenges, you know, up and down throughout the life of it, So, and continue <laughs> well, to be challenges.
0: Well, that first store in Boulder, uh, how many years was that location open before you opened a second location?
1: Uh, I, I opened another location that I end up, I opened another location maybe five years after. Okay,
0: so the first five years, let's call it one location, Mm -hmm. one one Rush Bowl location. I just I mean, as a former retailer myself, a little Mm -hmm. shop like a little shop like that um, next to a college after all the bills are paid is still not going to kick off what you were making in New York for you personally. Right. Right. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. So you still you still took a pay cut those first five years. Is that accurate? Oh
1: yeah, I mean <laughs> this was this was yeah. to combine, get a quality of life too. So yeah. and what's the value on quality of life? Well, for me at the time, and still continues to be, is high. So you know, Boulder provides that, Colorado generally provides a great quality of life with the sunshine and everything else. So I didn't just do it because of the money. Like like you said, the restaurant is Rest, the restaurant industry. There's certainly easier ways to make money. I, I, that's one thing I've learned. Like, this is definitely a path that's more challenging than some other paths. But the path I originally was on was one of the most challenging paths, also to be, you know, run a trading desk. So mm. nothing, nothing comes easy. You know, at least didn't for me. Now some people get lucky. God bless. You know, that's a fantastic. Right. Uh, I wasn't lucky. I, I I worked really hard at it
0: those first uh, those first couple of years, was it you and your wife working the counter, uh, working the shop?
1: No, it, it, well, that's, that's, it was, it was me. Certainly, I was working crazy amount of hours. Matter of fact, I would park the car and not remember where I parked it at the end of the day. So, <laughs> and then I hired, you know, two managers actually at the time. One is our senior vice president of our franchising, Nicole. Uh, and she, been with me for a long time she understands wow. and loves the brand and it's every wow. part of that the other person who was my first two hires she ended up working uh with my for my sister in new york city so after that? she graduated i i sent her out uh to my sister uh because she was really talented uh, person wow. that's and, fantastic uh, yeah.
0: that's fantastic your first two hires that's fantastic wow and yeah. One of them heading up, heading up the franchise okay Wow, very good. I just wanted to know a little bit about those early years there. I, you know, that that early period. So what I what I hear you saying is, hey, look, I was making good money in New York, but I wasn't completely fulfilled. I wanted a different lifestyle, um, even if I couldn't make as much money at first. I wanted a different life for my family. We took major risks. We quit our jobs, but we had some money saved up. Uh, we came out to Boulder. Um, and I invested cash in my first shop and then I worked my ass off for a few years uh, to make sure that shop made it and hired good people and took care of them. Um, that was a major move. Congratulations on just getting through that transition and oh, by the way, having two small kids at the same time at home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, congratulations on making it through that, that, those first few years and, and taking that risk. Um, right now, probably before we get into uh, the franchise and the growth of the business, let's do this for the listeners. Uh, just tell us today, give us the Rush Bowls overview, do like a three-minute kind of overview of where the company stands uh, today, just so everybody knows what we're talking about. And then I'll ask you some questions about the growth of the franchise. And by the way, for the listeners, it's RushBowls.com. Um Uh, If they want to look that up. Um, But go ahead, Andrew, give us like the three minute overview of Rush Bowls. Go for it. Sure. Uh,
1: So we've obviously come a long way. Currently, Rush Bowls has uh, 33 stores throughout the US. I also have a wholesale company uh, that is kind of just waiting for the growth of the franchising. I launched it earlier and kind of now it's on the side. But my main focus is franchising and we've had you know we've grown really since 2016 to 33 stores we plan on opening uh, another hopefully 16 17 stores this year to be up to 50 and we've had a lot of great growth but along with that great growth you have to do a great job supporting your partners and franchising is no different than any other business i would say they're your partners Mm. they may like what you're doing, they may not like what you're doing, but you have to support them because if you're not growing and you're not, they're not doing well, the The franchise system's not going to do well. And uh, we're really lucky with our partners that we have now. We are lucky for our growth and really the industry as a whole, you know, it's, we're, we're fast, casual health food. It's really fast, an incredible fast area. Ca-
0: fast, casual health food. So is it a, is it what is a thousand square feet typically, or what, what's the size of the store? And and for the listeners too, you might talk a little bit about some of the
1: product, Rush sure. Bowls, and some of the yeah. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, first of all, we really have a diversified size, but we ra- recommend a thousand square feet. Okay. You know, seven hundred to twelve hundred square feet is generally ideal. That's very different than some of our competitors. A lot of the competitors in the space will do 2,000, 2,500, more of a sit down concept that a much more broader appeal. So broader, they do salads, they do other stuff like that. We're focused on rush bowls and smoothies and aside, like other items that complement that, but we are the best of breed. And we do bowls no different than Starbucks doing coffee. We do bowls better than everyone else. And that's because we don't skimp on ingredients. We have really healthy, incredible flavors. And early on, based on my background, I was always looking for diversification flavor profiles. So we do really unique flavors. We were never just acai bowls. So early on, I always knew that I, I don't wanna just be acai, I wanna be green tea, I wanna be spicy, I wanna be you know uh, protein focused, uh, very flavorful, savory almost to the degree. Peanut butter and jelly, that uh, we grind our own peanuts in front of the customer mm. and it's unsalted mm. granulated peanuts and there's no oils, anything else. So health focused in the industry with with without being preachy and you know, we have, anything can be made vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free, we don't upcharge for dietary needs which is also unusual within the field. And it's grab and go, it's in and out. And I think a lot of the success, especially with COVID, a lot of the success of our business is the fact that it is simple. It's very focused. We're best of breed, but we're not a deli. We're not doing everything poorly. We're doing bowls and smoothies extremely well. And bowls are 80, 90% of our business.
0: Bowls Certainly are it's 90%. very
1: focused. Okay. Yes. And demographically, it's really 50 50 men, and women. So the health food and the health focus of our company, when it started more college orientation, it has brought into a three year old to a 50 year old, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's really a broad uh, customer base that are focused on health. And that focus over the years, over 17 years has really changed. And one of the reasons I started this company, you know, when I would go out to eat in New York city, you know, the little kids had a choice, grilled cheese, hot dog, or chicken fingers, basically. That was it. You know, a lot of this health orientation has come after the fact. And I feel that we were pretty much ahead of the curve. On it. Okay. And we continue to be innovating and more of a national approach. So when we look, there's not super regional. When I say that, our stores can be, you know, in Connecticut, it could be in Texas, it can be in Portland, it can be in Tacoma, it could be Ohio, you know, it could be Indiana. It's all over the US, which is very different than a lot of companies in this field. A lot of them are super regionals. And I felt no different than I bring up Starbucks a lot because I, I try to emulate what they've done because they've been brilliant. Whether you like their coffee or not, it's almost irrelevant. Everyone knows what Starbucks is. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoy I I really appreciate as a better terminology what they were able to accomplish. And in certain ways, I try to emulate what they're doing and uh, and grow the business, you know, piece by piece. But again, if our franchisees aren't successful, we wouldn't be growing and certainly we would have other challenges and why did you
0: why did you well let me let me ask you this first i I want to get into the franchise i want to ask you a couple of questions on why you got to you know into the franchise piece but um first on the product am i buying it as a snack as i cruise past one of your stores like in between meals or do i buy a bowl for a meal or both
1: it's it's a meal generally speaking uh we're our sales are busiest over mealtimes. It's okay. also big. It's a it's a 16 ounces. So think of a, mm-hmm. a pint of health food opposed to sizing wise as mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, what you're consuming It's a very filling and it's low calorically because we don't adulterate it with sugars, sorbets or whatever else. That's how, you know, flavor wise, you know, without naming competitors, but people put, put sorbets in or or some concoction or some you know we take actual real fruit (laughs) whether it's acai it's pure acai so we don't adulterate things and the flavor is way different and it's our success really okay
0: how many stores did you have before you decided to franchise
1: really one oh well two we had a corporate store in denver that's still there so two stores
0: Okay, and why the decision to franchise? How did you get there? What uh, you know, um, did somebody say, "Hey, you should you should franchise these?"
1: or How did you get to that point? Well, from day one, when I had my first store, everyone told me the franchise. I see, and uh, because it looked like a franchise. I I built it just because of how I thought it would look, but people felt it was really cool looking, and they're like, "Well, you should replicate it. It looks like it's been replicated."
0: Okay,
1: Uh, and. I just felt it was a very effective way to get it out to on a national approach. I felt it was really important I wanted to reach and grow the company and franchising afforded me the opportunity to do that. Now franchising is hard. You know, you have to mm-hmm. do it, you know, very well and it takes a lot of time and effort and money and everything else to do it. Uh, and there's a lot of legal aspects to it, and you know, making sure everyone's following the rules that they have a bowl in, you know, in in you know, Glastonbury, Connecticut tastes exactly like the bowl in you know, College Station, Texas. <laughs> That's right. So, yep. you know, there's a lot of standardization there, and there's a lot of different personalities. So you, you kind of have to manage that. And uh, I felt we had a product that was a winner. And then one thing I would tell you to this day. Whoever tastes the product loves the product. Mm. So it's really execution, execution, execution.
0: Did you have to raise a lot of cash to get the franchise piece going or, or still still your own deal? Or, 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 yeah, still my own about deal. Ah. Still, still my own deal. Wow. You're still 100% owner. Yep. Wow. 33 stores franchised and you didn't have to raise cash and you don't have a bunch of people on your cap table and you call on saying where's my money and all this other crap okay great congratulations I didn't know that I just assumed you had raised a bunch of cash from some folks over in Boulder
1: <laughs> right now it's just right now it's just Andrew you know Pandaph on the cap table now wow that,
0: say, I, that may I'm change blown, but okay you know I, I'm just telling you right now I'm blown away by that I had no idea that was the case so when I was studying for you and getting ready for the podcast I was just like okay so he opened the store he met some rich friends in boulder they gave him some cash and then they franchised it i mean i just assumed that was a story right i mean i think most people would assume that that was the story i'm really impressed that you have grown a 33 store franchise uh on your own without raising cash that's a major that's a, that's a major accomplishment congratulations
1: yeah and uh, and you know i had help and assistance in different ways over the years it wasn't like oh or, you know you don't build yeah. these things yeah snap over finger. but currently I am the only one on the cap table and uh, wow. yeah it's all it's all it's all me for better or for worse. For <laughs> it's unusual. A lot of franchises that have at this size or even earlier yes. have some sort of private equity and I think part of our success is the fact that we don't. I'm not beholden to anyone. So you know private equity when you deal with private equity, you know there's a price to be paid for everything you know, certainly and I understand banking better than most. So I, I, uh, I feel that I have a lot more freedom on how we run the company and we constantly want to serve an incredible product opposed to, you know, uh, cheapening things just to make a, a, a dollar. Our reputation is too important to us.
0: That's great to hear, Andrew. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging enough to deal with what you said earlier, the personalities of the franchisees, uh, you know, I mean, you're talking people who, you know, it's it's their business to a certain extent, but they gotta follow certain rules, big personalities. A lot of them are entrepreneurial or they had made money in the past. And so just, I know from personal experience, uh, having uh, led a company as a COO and as an interim CEO myself that had franchise stores, I know from experience what it's like to deal with some of those personalities and make sure they're following the damn rules and you know, and things like that. So that's challenging enough. If you're ch- if you if you're doing that and dealing with a massive cap table and PE money and all this, now now you're really bogged down with managing a bunch of big personalities. And so uh, the fact that you're not having to do that on the PE side is great. Um so if you're if you're interested in I'm a selling. By the way, you said you're opening up what sixteen more stores this year? Are those? Are those... Yeah, we're going to try
1: to. That's okay. The, are those deals done? Or are you
0: are you looking for are you looking for more franchisees or those are already
1: signed? No, those are existing franchisees. Open stores three, four, five. You know, one thing that we've opened a lot during even last year during COVID. These were existing franchisees. Okay. So nothing tells you. More success than existing yes. franchisees opening more stores. Now, now we're yep. you know we've had a, a few new ones come on board, and uh, and we're just you know opening stores, and, you know when they come through. But we have a lot of pent up demand, especially in the real estate market. I think franchising in this, especially in smaller spaces like this, is there's a real opportunity to lower your cost. Obviously, on end because of real estate has fallen off a little bit. And I think there will be more opportunity within that. Couldn't
0: agree Especially more Especially when you're uh, health food focused. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I totally agree. On the health food focus, you're going to grab up some commercial real estate that uh is a hell
1: of a lot cheaper than it used to be. I think there's some right. wonderful opportunities there. Um, but we're growing and our, you know, I feel that our a lot of our store owners have owned multiple ones of these. So you're not growing and having multiple if you're not doing well. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed. Do
0: I, do I have to go to, uh, like if you buy a subway, don't you have to like go to Alabama or something for like a two week training class in a store or something? Do you guys do that?
1: (laughs) We come to you. So if you open a, there's a whole process to it. And, uh, but we come to you. So basically for, it was a off, you know, online process. And then a week or so before you open, say 10 days before you open that range, we send a team out to you and we train them there in your location. So Ooh, okay. prior to that we're working with you weekly daily almost a, more than a year ahead of time on what each part what to do what's working what's you know this is the timetable for this this is when you should order this this is the design we have you know our okay. design that you can see behind me uh, that that is important for you know for the brand and can we're you tell constantly me th-
0: can you tell me Just how much it's going to, what, what my initial investment's going to have to be roughly, or can you share that?
1: Well, it depends. It depends on what you're doing. If you're doing one store or three stores, uh, one, one store deal based on this year is 39000 as a franchise fee. A royalty is uh, 5%. Uh, it's 6%, 6%. Sorry about that. And it's a 2% marketing fee. So 8% basically all in. The marketing fee, the 2% marketing, uh, royalty, it's not a royalty, but marketing fee. Goes directly back into the marketing fund, so we don't, we don't, we use that for marketing. Um, Understood. It, yeah. Understood. It's what,
0: what's, the the what's the average build out?
1: What's the average build out? It really depends uh, on in our FDD. It's about one hundred ninety-four thousand, uh, including equipment and other items. Um, so it's a really inexpensive build out, relatively speaking. And it can so be I, less, honestly, and it can okay. be more depending on where you are. But certainly, we hope to have it less even, but that's generally the range of what it would be.
0: Can I get a store open and get operating and start putting money in the bank with 300 grand?
1: I would hope so. You know, it's okay. hard to tell. <laughs> you can't, I can't legally or any which way. tell you Exactly. It <laughs> depends on how you run it. Depends on what type of dollars you put in or marketing you put into it, your own marketing uh, along yeah. with ours. But I would be hopeful that you could do do that, you know, certainly and build a business pretty well with that number. But okay. it, it depends also where you're opening. Are you opening in an area of the country that, you know, build outs reasonable? Or are you opening in, you know, in the height of Palo Alto or New York City that the build going to skew higher Understood. than that? Yep. Uh, yep. So, really, we give a range on our franchise agreement and yep. uh, F- FDD, and uh, you can go through the, all those numbers. We're happy to walk you through those numbers and uh, and take it from there.
0: Okay, very good. I know I'm hitting you with some hard questions there on what it's what it's like to get you get going on on the investment, but I, I just know that people listening that those are the first questions: How much does it cost? Yeah. How much do I have to spend? What am I going to make? I mean, uh, the product you know the product itself, the marketing, and the product is really excellent. I mean, great job on the marketing, the look, the feel of the brand. I don't know if you did all that yourself or if you hired a Creative marketing agency to do all that for you, but really, it's good, like super solid, man. I mean, it's attractive. It feels good. Feels right. Everything on the surface looks. Everything on the surface looks good. If I'm well, also making, no, if I'm uh, also making money when I invest in it, then it's totally awesome.
1: <laughs> and there's certainly no I. It's a team effort across the board. So okay. you know, we have good people. Everyone who works for me right now has managed a store, which is really unusual too. So oh. they can feel the experience um, that a, a franchisee slash partner does. They've managed it. They understand. I really Love hire it. from within. Love and I, I think that makes a big difference. And they understand the challenges of running a business. And someone's on call 24-7. You have a problem? We're, we have someone answering the phones. We really believe in customer support not just for our customers on a customer level that are coming in buying a bowl but our franchisees because ultimately there are our, there are our customers too and mm-hmm. we have to do a great job for them as well as our customers on the storefront how many employees
0: uh, for the company not counting i mean not not the franchise
1: right I, and we just- have a lot of different employees doing different things certainly we have you know People focused on just franchising. Then we have people on social media. We have, you know, website design. Some outsource, some internal. So there's a lot of people. There's a lot of moving parts to these things. So, okay.
0: Um, so I know we got about seven minutes left here. Mm-hmm. I can I could I could keep you for another three hours, by the way. But I want to <laughs> ask you a couple of things here. What sure. advice? If if I wanted to start, if I have a restaurant and mm-hmm. I wanna franchise it, and I'm listening to this episode, what are two or three things that you would tell that person knowing what you know now? What, what would you say? What advice would you give them? They have one location, they're thinking about franchising,
1: what would you say? Well, certainly uh, franchising, there's a lot of legal, legal work in franchising, tons. Mm-hmm. You know, standardization, it's not easy. It's 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 a business that you really have to think what what's your objective on. And a lot of people actually ask me about franchise and they call me up and, and look for help. I'm pretty involved with the Ben Network here in Boulder and Silicon Flatirons and stuff like that. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, keeping everything standardized is really hard. And even though you have a formula, having everything look alike and similar, it's really difficult. So you got to think. It really through. You got to think, okay, this is where we are today. Where do we want to, how do we replicate it? How do we get to, you know, down the alphabet to the letter, you know, M, P or whatever it may be, how to get there and how to do it in a way that you bring on partners. There's going to be challenges, especially early in a franchise. There's, there's a lot more challenges as things get more standardized early on. And certainly we had our own challenges with particular franchisees that, You know, didn't, weren't fully or came about or took time, but it it happened. And some of them are, you know, our greatest supporters. And and most of them are incredible, really incredible. But it it is a challenge in all fronts. And you really got to think it through. You got to think of, you know, how do I get to two stores and how do I get to 10? How do I get to 50? You know, looking, even now, I'm like, we're at 33 or so stores. I'm like, how do we get to 50? How do we get to 100? And honestly, it may be a different person that gets us from a hundred to a thousand because I have a certain skill set, but someone else may have a different skill set to bring you to the next level. And uh, I really, I'm a startup guy. I like building things, but certainly uh, I think there's people that may have even a better skill set than I to bring the company to the next level. You still got the wholesale business, don't you? Yeah, that's, that was a fascinating challenge and uh, incredible business. Really. We are in 40 States with that, mostly with whole foods and others. I see. Uh, I had a co-packer that was making it. It was a little bit of a different product, but again, it was a product that needed to be explained. You know, it was bowls. Again, I started that in 2010, um, basically around that 2010 2011, and we were in frozen shells. So you would naturally thaw it, a microwave it. Uh, we had a lot of success with it, and my co-packer out of the blue went out of business on me. So we had no product to make. Um, so by then also, because we were doing it for six, seven years. And then I by then franchising started taking off. So I just kind of stopped that, put that on the back burner. We get demand all the time for that, actually, still to this day. And I think it helps as we grow our franchising. People are familiar or heard the name before. So at some point down the line, I'll see. But you know, we may even relaunch it at some point to complement our franchisees to provide another avenue for them to sell product. But again, that's not in the plans in the near term by any means.
0: Okay, very good. If you had to because I think you're my age, maybe, maybe one year older or so. You're probably you're probably 54, 55, I'm guessing. Sure. <laughs> uh, if you had to call your 21 year old self. Coming out of undergrad school and tell that young Andrew anything, if you could call him and tell him anything, what would it be based on what you've learned so
1: far? I think take a deep breath, you know, work hard, but kind of enjoy the moments a little bit at a time because you look back and you know, you're just so grinding, grinding, grinding. you know, smell the roses and sometimes till you figure that out you're a lot older and, and 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 didn't sniff around as much as you probably should have so
0: it's so true isn't it i think about that all the time now as i get older i never thought that way when i was younger yeah but i, t- I tell you what you get you get in your mid-50s you start looking in the mirror thinking damn okay yeah it's uh Everything really, actually, I don't have that many years left. I might want to like smell the flowers
1: a little bit more. <laughs> I'm having, yeah, I'm, you appreciate it. One, also, thing I would say that I, when I graduated college, I went right to work and uh, literally like weeks. And um, one of my biggest regrets is I didn't travel through somewhere through Europe or whatever else uh, at that time because you had no responsibilities, right? So mm-hmm. you could really explore. And uh, there's always work waiting for you somewhere. Or another.
0: There it may not be reasons. ideal, but yeah, That's so. true. And now uh, you're still married uh, yes. to the same lovely woman that, that put up with you when you said, I'm quitting my job and moving to Colorado. You still married?
1: <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. But yeah, awesome. I am. <laughs> Congratulations. <And> you, <laughs> nice. had, you
0: said you, had, you have two children? Yes.
1: Teenagers now or grown? Uh, one just graduated college and is going right to work, which – Obviously, you know my influence there, but unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, my, my daughter is at, uh, she's uh, going to be a junior at University of Michigan.
0: Either one of them interested in helping dad run the business?
1: No, I, I don't think so, quite frankly, but I'm always kind of like my parents were, do whatever you want to do. do. You know, I, I don't really, this is not an heirloom to my children, nor would I have created it that way you know, at some point, you know, we'll grow it and either, you know, we have a lot of interest in people that want are interested in the company now even, but at some point, you know, I, I build it, you build a great company, great things happen, but at some point, it's, like I said, it's not an heirloom to my children. i okay. probably sell it at some point.
0: Okay. Retirement uh, at some point, or uh, if you had to put, if last question, if you had to put Andrew's core purpose into a sentence, your core purpose in life, Now, now that you're in your mid fifties and you've been through Mm -hmm. a bunch,
1: what what would that core purpose sound like? Uh, That's a tough one because there's so many different uh, avenues to that. You you feel what I would enjoy the most is mentoring and really working with businesses. And I deal with a lot of young, you know, employees and a lot of different levels from starting out to, late 20s, 30s, and then some older. But I think understanding business and the ebb and flow of it and you know the benefits of it and what works and what doesn't, I think that's one of the areas that I think is really important. And I think that's a great focus for me. I almost wish I could focus more on that because I'm constantly in motion building a business that sometimes people see it, but it's not that one-on-one that I, I would love to do more of.
0: Very good. Andrew, congratulations on everything that you've done so far. You got another 15, 16 stores to open this year, so you're busy. Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's for sure. Uh We all are.
0: (laughs) Rushbowls.com. Congrats to you and the team. Appreciate you being on the show.